We are on a mission, a mission to save and revitalize independent pharmacy. On the Catalyst Podcast, we dive into current events that are shaping how pharmacists approach their patients and their businesses. Fuel your passion for pharmacy, one conversation at a time. Three, two, one, zero. Ignition. Welcome to the Catalyst Pharmacy Podcast. I'm Jeff Key, president of Pioneer X, and I'm here with my co-host, Josh. Hi, I'm Josh Howland, vice president of clinical strategy. And Mark. I'm Mark Bivens, vice president of business development. So today we're here with Troy Trigstad, executive director of CPSN. And vice president of provider relations for community care of North Carolina, editor-in-chief of Pharmacy Times, and board member of APHA Foundation. Welcome, Troy hey, Trigstad, coming to us from the Trigstad uh, School for the Gifted and Talented. <laughs> yeah, on the magnet. Oh, He's got man. a magnet program. He's got a magnet program exactly. going on there in your house. I was uh, <laughs> well. We got two things going on simultaneously. We uh, you know, somebody said, "Oh, you in Zoom or Teams? You can change what your title is. Please tell us where you're from." And I put down Children's Campus. <laughs> uh, and, uh, and so. But, you know, we've got so and Google's tearing up the neighborhood and every once in a while, I don't know how it affects AT&T. I don't know why it would, but we just, you know, so we're dealing with all that. But I can switch over to cell phone now if I have to, but I think we'll be OK. We've cut two of the five lines. We've cut two of the five. <laughs> we've cut two of the five. <laughs> we're two, good. two of the five streams. Um, one of the children really doesn't need the content they're getting right now, so they've taken a break from school. <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> my, my son will be playing his Zoom. And, and he'll be talking to his teacher or whatever, doing his Google Classroom piece. But he'll also be like, low-key, have YouTube up on the other screen. And uh, I'm like, buddy, yeah, that's got to go. Yeah. That's got to go. That's why eventually well, that's... employee productivity is going to die. <laughs> right. That's right. No doubt. That's right. Yeah, yeah. The employer needs a, a, a security camera on the employee while they're in their well, remote environment. Right? They, they're actually doing that. They, the camera like points in your face and like tracks oh, your yeah, eye, yeah, your yeah. eye focus, and it'll alert if you divert your eyes for too long. They're even doing that in some of the um, the, the tests. Instead of proctoring them where you had to go to a yeah. facility, yeah, okay. mm, that they're putting that on. And if your eyes divert, they flag your test as being um, not valid. Don't give Jeff ideas. <laughs> There's so, been a massive Jeff, uprising. Who, Jeff, are, Jeff Bezos? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right. So try to, what's your degree in? Remind me what's your degree Everything. Which one? <laughs> right. Yeah, no <laughs> doubt. There you go. Right. So I'm one of those weird folks that I have, uh, I got an MBA, a uh, PharmD, and a PhD, and I, I still, I've never had an undergraduate degree. What, what's your PhD in? Uh, pharmacy, economics, and policy. All right. So what we won't say on our podcast listing is today we're talking to a PhD of economics, right? <laughs> That's why I brought my glasses to we've look been, mildly smarter. Because you're way cooler than that. We'll have, we'll have to say way cooler than a, a normal. Uh, no, no, I have to say this in defense of, of Tim Geithner and others out there. So economics can be seen as very boring. But if you really, really dive into it, yes, it's somewhat about math. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. But, but look, you, you know, when we're in health professions, we often think of science. Science is an explanation of how the world works. 
right? We're experimenting to figure out how the world works around us, including vaccine development. Economics tries to explain the why, why things happen, right? Uh, why human behavior happens a certain way, why things happen in certain countries a certain way, why people behave a certain way, why, you know, the flow of economics is really about services, products, resources, social uh, interaction. Um, so once you get past the econometrics part of it, economics is this fascinating area of explaining why the world ticks the way it ticks. I'm picturing See, Sheldon. I got you. I'm, like, I got you. I'm, I'm picturing him and Sheldon <laughs> having a conversation a lot more charismatic on the Big Bang, than the Big Bang Theory. And <laughs> right. He's like, economics is really way cooler than you think. <laughs> right. You except, know except for the math part. By the way. Yeah, by right. the way. <laughs> once you get past the math part. Once you get past the really math part, you start talking about people and and the, your little girl's lemonade stand, <laughs> economics gets really fun. It really, it really does. It, it is. It's all about guns and butter. Buy low, <laughs> guns, sell high. I got it. Guns I and passed. Butter. Economics. Guns and butter. I don't think that's no, economics. Buy, my plan buy. is to buy high and sell low. <laughs> buy high and sell low. You're a millennial? No, you're not a millennial. <laughs> I am that, technically. Yeah, that's the Robin Hood thing, it, right? Buy high, is. sell low. Yeah. No, no one right. ever wants to buy high, sell low. That's a terrible plan. <laughs> <laughs> buy high and sell low. Not Somebody. In order Shorting. for me to win with buying low and selling high, there are a lot Somebody of people who have to, to buy lose. high yeah. and sell low. So th there's got to be some panic. The Robin Hood millennial thing is buy high despite in, in the face of of contravailing evidence. No doubt. Is, right. Which is which is sort of the other fascinating area of work going on right now, which is. You know, we have a lot of cognitive dissonance going on and, and people making decisions in the face of facts. Right. that are counter to facts broadly not and that's not a political statement but just broadly it's a phenomenon and millennials kind of started that trend they kind of they they kind of uh marched to their own tune as far as you know i think jeff and your and i generation was really more of the everybody following the pepe jeans and the and everybody wanted that the same thing and and that generation is really much more about inter, you know individualism and contrarianism Right. And that oh. and that flows into their economic behavior. Right. Well, people say, don't do this, then I do it. You know, and, right. and it's an expression of me as an individual. Right. And I think I think we're starting to see that in owners, pharmacy owners. Right. So the new generation of pharmacy owners are are these um, contrarians. Oh, this is an impossible space. Watch me. Watch me. I'm going to do this or it. I'm going to do that. I'm going to innovate, which is exactly what's needed to disrupt the marketplace. Right. And, and even before Robin Hood, they had penny stocks. So I remember yeah. that the time oh, when yeah. my wife's dad, the farmer, was buying, oh, I bought the penny stocks. Why did you buy them? Because they were only a penny. <laughs> There's a reason they're a penny. Yeah. They're, they're, they're mostly trash. But can, you imagine, okay. can you imagine if they went to two pennies? Yeah. Can you imagine if they went to zero pennies? Right, right. <laughs> we saw what happened with Hertz. Hertz hung out at $1.38, $1.40, despite being on paper uh absolutely worth nothing right. and you could see it it wasn't like it was hidden away you could read the filings but right people yeah. well and people hey, that's democracy they like, kind of saved yeah. them really I, that's the other phenomenon is facts may be facts but the power of of momentum can change the facts right so the public saved hertz instead of the government in a way yeah well that phenomenon did for yep. sure that movement yeah well, that's interesting. For podcasts to be fun, you usually have to have a little controversy or 
are something. So okay, so Troy, say something controversial then. What would what would be controversial? Ooh. What would be controversial? I don't know if it'd be controversial anymore. I think that's the news. The headline is it's not controversial what I'm about to say. I think the plurality or the majority of COVID-19 vaccinations that are going to occur in the U.S. are going to be done by a pharmacy. And that was controversial maybe three, four, five, six. That's true. Unheard of 10 years ago. But I see congressmen and congresswomen on cable news saying, oh, well, this is great, but, you know, just we're going to have to wait a little while before we can go down to our local pharmacy and get our immunization. <laughs> it's it's flown into the lexicon of the consumer, which is so to me, that's the controversy. That's no more. That's kind of a cool thing. Right? We can move it a little controversial. We can say the majority of vaccinations we've done in a pharmacy by a pharmacy tech. Sure. That might I think, be controversial. Uh, I, think, I think the idea here is trusted and local. So we have 100 right. million Americans that, are gonna, that would drive eight hours and sit in a parking lot for 24 to get their vaccination. We have another 100 million Americans watching their social media that are skeptical. We have another 100 million Americans that say overnight dead body, literally. Well, I get it. And so trusted and local, whether it's the pharmacist, the pharmacy tech, or in combination – it's people from the neighborhood that speak the language that are accessible and trusted. That's what's going to win this battle or not, right? So, so you think there there's a there's a role there in the local relationship side to to even because it's talking about the people that you said not over my dead body or or maybe maybe not. There, there's some convincing to do. Absolutely, yeah. So uh, I'll, I'll give a shout out to your RX local brand. I go back to where I spent the summer in Alexandria, Minnesota, where we've got family that could watch the kids and no online school for internet needs. And uh, I'm listening to local radio station, which is the nightly news for rural yeah. America. And hey, Trump drug, RX local, you know, here's what we do, et cetera, et cetera. That means something to the electrician that stopped by yeah. and to the people in that community. And so if the pharmacists at Trump drug post on their Facebook feed or on their RX local feed or on the local radio, it says, hey, I've gotten my vaccine. You should, too, to protect our community so that we can all have sports in the fall. Right. People will listen, right? They'll listen. I think anymore you turn on cable news and people just, you know, they kind of just, just background noise, right? And so localness is going to matter this spring and late winter. And pharmacies are going to play a huge role, local pharmacies. Total sense. I'm from West Texas. I know if you told everybody there – we'll get to have high school football <laughs> if everyone goes and gets their COVID vaccine. I think you'd have a lot of people just going, sign me up. Just have the right. local pharmacy yeah. give, well, it'd be, it'd be too slow. I was going to say, you could give the vaccination at the entrance of the football yeah. game, but that's, <laughs> that doesn't work that way. <laughs> that doesn't, doesn't work. <laughs> it's like, oh, Troy's yeah, it's like, one no. of those, that's one of those <laughs> where you, like, where you think something in your head and you go, yes, and then you go, oh, yeah, no, that's dumb. Troy's like, no. <laughs> <laughs> Let, let's crowd 10,000 people into a place where they won't be immune for, you know, two to three weeks. Yeah, well, now with the double, you know, you have right. to have it four weeks apart. Well, one of our big, um, you know, one of the big things, an uh, interesting thing about the whole red cell deal, um, you know, Pioneer X didn't go out to bid. I get, I get three a week, people wanting to buy Pioneer. Pioneer didn't go out to bid to find the highest bidder. The management team went out and found a partner to help us further our objective of saving independent pharmacy. Uh, and a couple of things we, we found there. Uh, one, we needed somebody to invest some more money because there's money that needs to be spent. Uh, two, we needed to find a great management team. And the, the people that Francisco Partners put over there are amazing. Um, and then third, just the 
hey, they already have 5,000 pharmacy systems. You know, building the third largest network in the country uh, with 10,000 pharmacy systems is a big aid. Um, but turning it to you, just, just kind of a one or two or three things. Where do we go from here? Give us some advice to, to, to save and do the mission of saving and revitalize okay. independent pharmacy. You're an economist, a, a cool one, by the way. And um, healthcare economist. Uh, healthcare yes. economist. No, just a cool <laughs> economist. So what would be what would be kind of your advice for us? Now, knowing we can't necessarily manipulate, uh, this isn't advice for the local pharmacist. This is advice for us of what we should do. Well, I think whether you're a, a software company like yourselves and, and, and gets into other areas, rightfully so, uh, or your CPSN USA, uh, the broader arc of the environment's the same, which is consolidation. So if my memory serves me by last count, the, the Fortune 30 list, if you look at the top 30 companies in the U.S., 13 of them are in the pharmacy business. But not for a single one of them is pharmacy their principal business. That's, that's sending a message, right? So consolidation matters. And, and I think our collective goal, I know that's been Pioneer's goal in the culture, and it's certainly been our culture at CPSN USA, is how do you gain scale to be at the table but remain local, right? With, with, and, the key, and the key word being sovereignty, right? Because how independent owners think of themselves and align themselves to be at the table so that you can interact with 13 of the Fortune 30 companies that still remain sovereignty over how you take care of your patients and how you run your business and how you take care of people, that's what we're collectively trying to solve, right? And so it, 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 it absolutely means how do you get big but remain small? We're all, we're all trying to do that in this space, right? Uh, all, all the time. I, we think small all the time. I, I, I know that. Um, what, what are the couple of things that you're excited about with CPSN USA and, and some of the things you have? I, I'm, I'm seeing a lot of traction, at least from the outside looking in, uh, about that, that kind of that local, stay local, stay small yeah. piece with, that, with, your, with your regional payer relationships and things like that. What are some of the things you're excited about? Well, and last time we met, there's been some breakthroughs in CPSN. It seems like a lot of some of yeah. the barriers that you're talking to a lot more people than you yeah, were before. no doubt. Yeah. There's like 10 times the number of payer relationships that we've seen in the last year yeah, so, uh, you know, CPSN can mine CPSN's success and and itself, but if it's not in an outcomes marketplace, if it's not in an environment where folks want to purchase the product, we'll never be successful, right? So, so I would say the plurality, if not the majority of success that we've had over the past three to six months, and it's accelerating has much, much more actually to do with the marketplace starting to evolve than it does CPSN evolving. Obviously, we're always trying to do that. Uh, we've tried to really standardize product because we don't, you know, I always give Joe Moose, you know, who most of the folks on this podcast probably know or heard yes. of, I always give him grief because he would call and he'd say, Troy, we're different. And I'd say, awesome. How do I sell a unit of different? Right. Right? Like, you know, you want me to go to a purchaser and say, hey, I sell this many units a different, and we've got network adequacy. What are you selling? And so Joe does amazing things in Concord, North Carolina area, and Bob Lominick does great things in northern Mississippi, 
and Trip Logan does amazing things in Southeast Missouri, and Trum Drugs, an amazing pharmacy back, you know, where I'm in from in, in, in North Central Minnesota. But because of all of the consolidation, the market dynamics, they need to be a collective to put that product into a marketplace that can interact with them. So, so I think the two big things that have happened this last year is one, the Engage RX services, so that when you say hypertension management, uh-huh. you know what that is. It's this against JNC. It's we're going to do this. We're going to read it. We're going to put this care plan in. We're going to follow up next month. We're going to reach out to a prescriber if we need to titrate. Boom, 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 boom. That's a unit that somebody, a purchaser, can go. Okay, I see what I'm buying now. But it's not just one pharmacy doing it one way and another pharmacy doing it another way. It has to be at least three thousand pharmacies. Right. And one of the things that seems to be kind of a nice deal now, and this kind of overlaps a little bit with CPSN and Flip the Pharmacy, is it seems like you guys are starting to sell a simpler product that makes sense, right? When it first started, CPSN was a bunch of local little units running around kind of herding cats. And now you're like, all right, we have Engage RX. It's a simple thing. It's easy to understand. And now you can execute it. And it has to be understandable by the people that want to buy it. Right. You know, not us. Right. So if it's understandable <laughs> to us and us only, that's not a marketplace. Right. There's buyers and sellers and buyers mm-hmm. need to know what they're buying. And to your point, simplifying it, demystifying it wasn't just important for the marketplace of purchasers. It was also really, really important for the supply side because we have a whole bunch of pharmacies out there. If you say clinical pharmacy or enhanced services, they get scared. So the other byproduct of putting it together is saying, no, this is what it is. It's this, this, this. Well, I can do that. Yeah, congratulations. Yeah. You're a clinical right. pharmacy. Or I, already right. do, or I already do that. <laughs> or in oftentimes, right, I already do this. I just need to actually record it in the Pioneer right. system in a way that all the other Pioneer people record it in the system. And then we need to be able to pull that out and do value-based contracting just like people pull out of Epic and Cerner for their value-based contracting on the medical side. So those pieces all coming together, I think. So it wasn't just CPSN. I, we, we, believe me, it's not all peaches and cream within our own <laughs> shop. It's the whole, it's the partners like yourself and the whole marketplace evolving is something that we all need across the board. Do you think, what would be like, what would, do you think that some of the genesis is on the payer side of, of, of is it mostly them reaching out to you now and going, we need to tackle social determinants of health. That's a, that's a buzzword slash hot, hot word right now what what is that genesis from their their point of view yeah i think there's two factors that have well three factors now with covid and we can get there but two factors pre-covid um that that have contributed this one is consolidation interestingly enough interesting um the vert the vertical integrations have disrupted the horizontal integrations because you can't do both it's a geometric impossibility unless you're talking about you know one one payer, one government, one you know type of care. Because you have to, if in a marketplace, you can't have complete vertical integration and complete horizontal integration. That's just one entity, right? Mm-hmm. And so a lot of those vertical integrations have disrupted the horizontal relationships where there's a lot of plans out there now saying, wait a second, my vendors are competitors. I don't have a relationship with pharmacies. I kind of like the idea of having relationship with pharmacies. And so it's kind of disrupted the marketplace. And I'm, I'm the type of person also where an Amazon entrant, call me a Greg Popovich fan, but I think a healthy level of fear is great, 
right? Like if you nice. want to talk about optimal performance, you need a healthy level of fear. And a market entrance like that gets people to sit up straight. But at the end of the day, they're not the major threat in the marketplace, right? I mean, it's, it's self-channeling in these vertical integrations. And so the space between those vertical integrations is where a lot of the action is right now. And then the other is because we're 10 years in now on patient-centered medical home value-based contracting on the medical side, is that, you know, there's that chart, right, Jeff, in, in software you talk about where it's like the peak of this and then the trough of disillusionment. And, and they're getting out now to the trough of disillusionment with, I've tried everything. I've hired care managers. I've paid primary care a bunch of money. I've tried behavioral health vendors. I've tried this and that. And they can't get numbers to move all that much. And now they're saying, well, wait a second. Why can't I work with pharmacy to change my HEDIS numbers medical side? And so because they've tried everything else and now there's actually some options out there for pharmacy, they're saying, wait a second, I can think of pharmacy as a specialty provider network. It's not just something that happens on the other side of my PBM relationship. So I think those two dynamics, the vertical integrations, and then also that they've kind of come to the end of trying everything but pharmacy. <laughs> okay. now, they're saying, now they're saying, wait a second. And COVID is contributing that. That's the third wild card because okay. we're changing consumer expectations, which goes back to the whole craft beer phenomenon, right? Where if you have one craft beer company in a neighborhood, they do okay. But if you have more than one, they actually all do, better. All do better. The reason for that yeah. is they change consumer expectations. Because it's one thing to say, oh, I got a great craft beer down here and I get it every once a month. It's a whole other thing to say, craft beer is everywhere. I'm giving up on Bud Light, Miller Light. And it's a better product. <laughs> Josh, Josh is a huge fan of craft beer. So, <laughs> and, and the thing is, you want to talk about you know markets and dependency and stickiness. How many people do you know that started doing craft beer that went back? None. Right. Zero. Right. right. Once you hit that tipping point, they don't go back. Yeah, and that's I'd say you know that was the problem. Um, well, that was the thing of independent pharmacy. You know, once somebody had done, you know, the people who are not using independent pharmacy really never have. And once they get it, they want it, which is why they had to move. You know, you started off with $4 plans and, hey, we're going to give you coupons and all this stuff, the, the CVSs of the world. And so they had to revert to trying to force people into, well, we're not let you make the decision, child. We're going to let your employer make the decision and, 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 and we're going to do it that way. Uh, yeah, and, and, I, and I learned this from my mother-in-law who worked in banking for a long time where so we got we ended up purchasing some real estate back home so we could spend more time back home. And she said, well, why aren't you going with the local bank? And I said, well, I mean, I want to be able to have something that's national that I can. She said, well, but we do that, too. And what I learned about banking is there's this whole kind of cooperative and local banks that marketplace is different from the pharmacy marketplace, right? Because you still have kind of local banks and co-ops, and then you have the big banks right. that are kind of depositories, but they're not really depositories anymore, right? And when people go, wait, I can lose my local bank and get everything that I would get from a national, they choose local banks all the time. Local banks and, and co-ops tend to actually thrive, uh, and they're sort of making a comeback. And I think that's what we're trying to bring to pharmacy, which is how do you be all over the place, but really you still have that local owner with those local relationships. And I learned that from my mother-in-law in the banking industry. What we don't have in the pharmacy space that's in the banking space is this very standardized level playing field that says, here's what product has to look like in the marketplace. Right. And that's the whole Supreme Court ERISA. Yeah. That's the well, fundamentals I mean, of it, and right? 
you have you have a level of convenience that's perceived, right? Like a local bank for most people is more convenient than a bigger bank because they've had to be innovative, right? My local bank, I can use 20,000 ATMs across the country with Chase. They want to charge me for every other one, right? But at the same time, you also see that banking has this huge advantage where no one tells you what bank you can or can't use, right? And that's something that clearly doesn't exist in pharmacy. And since we're we're since the theme is economics, thank you for that. <laughs> right, uh, right. No, we're staying in the banking and banking this is industry. My vacation. I know, right? Let's do this. <laughs> There's another economic phenomenon that economists absolutely despise, including myself, which is subsidization is a real market breaker, and and that's why one of the other fascinating phenomenons that's going on out there good bad or ugly or negative or positive but it's out there is the whole good rx and the whole discount card stuff right um keep in mind that 49% of all employees in the country right now by latest statistics have a high deductible health savings account i haven't used my blue cross blue shield insurance for drugs in 12 years wow right, mm -hmm. right? so this whole sort of direct consumer cash pay you know, we know what direct primary care looks like. What does direct pharmacy care look like? Because 90% of our fills are 20% of the cost. And so, you know, there, to, to, to Josh's point, when we start talking about um, channeling patients and various mechanisms and vertical integrations to try to channel patients, that's only as effective as you need a specialty product or something that's so expensive that gets past your high deductible plan. That's where the world's heading. Right. So that's also a big market disruptor. And I don't know exactly what the play is for local pharmacies in that space right now, but there's a whole lot of people on Wall Street that that scares them to death. Hmm. Yeah, maybe there's a good uh, there's a good market for an Rx local coupon card that doesn't charge pharmacy anything. It doesn't charge you. Yeah, that right. Doesn't, that doesn't rake yeah, them. go into your local doctors and say, hey, look, this Rx thing's taking 20 percent of my money. Right. This this is a local uh, this is a local card. It's uh, local friendly, and it doesn't charge me anything. Yeah, and if it's done right, actually, uh, it, you know, for the CPSN plug, uh, we're all about how do we develop services in this space. So how do we work with you also, Doc, on on working with hypertension and diabetes, where 60 to 70 percent of the patients on these major disease states are on generics that nobody's using their insurance anyways, and if they are, it's more expensive. So I, I, those probably end up being the models of the future. It's going to be fights with lobbyists and regulation and deregulation that's going to decide the fate of that. But the fact of the matter is um, where we're heading is that the vast majority, we're going to be in a space where five years from now, 2% of the fills are going to be 70, 75% of the cost. So there's, there's a very necessary bifurcation of the marketplace that's going to happen. The question is, how do you position these independent pharmacies as that trend continues? You're almost saying like retail community pharmacy, like you've already lost the specialty game. It's, it's done, right? But there's this whole world of other things that you can manage that affect most patients. Why pay? I mean, have a generic pharmacy, right? And the good news, bad news there is, yeah, there's a big money stream that you're not a part of right now, but you, that's a difficult money stream for you to have an influence on. But guess what? You're becoming a smaller and smaller part of the total healthcare costs. 
which makes you more and more valuable as a local trusted professional that can provide services, even to the point where I could see services being provided where the drugs are free. Right. Well, I mean, that, that comes back to, you know, prior to Pioneer, I worked for David Rx on the renal specialty side. And for renal patients, they cost a huge amount of money, like a hundred grand a year to keep them alive, basically. But almost all of the drugs in the renal space are cheap generics. Right. You know, like calcium. Okay. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, we had this world where we had a huge amount of play where we kept patients out of the hospital to, pre to prevent twenty, thirty thousand $30,000 hospitalizations for a $2 drug. Does that, does that also lend itself, like what Troy was saying, what you're saying, lend itself to, to kind of filling in primary care gaps? Mm -hmm. it, 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 I'm, I'm not a pharmacist, so 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 everyone, you can look at me like I'm stupid, but to me, that's what it sounds like it's I'm hearing. My, it's just my look. <laughs> it's just my look. <laughs> Jeff's looking at me like, what are you it's doing? It's just my look. Sorry. <laughs> Is that kind of where it lends itself with where you, it sounds like you guys are talking about the next five years? Look, primary care is where CPSN started. Right. It was family physicians principally coming to me and saying, we're sending 30, uh, 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 we're sending a care manager 30 miles down a dirt road in Whiteville, North Carolina. They're spending half of their day uh, with this patient doing an assessment. 90% of the issues are medication related. And we keep bumping into the pharmacy delivery driver. We need to figure out how to work with these folks. Now, the tragedy, because if I was born again, I would have been born again as a family physician because I have ultimate respect for family medicine because I grew up in rural America. It, the ethos really is about lifelong social determinants, sort of whole person care you know, on the frontier. Uh, that's what I would have done if I could have done it all over again. But I'm here to say, tragically and sadly, if you think pharmacy is changing, take a look at primary care. Primary care is being turned upside down. So let's get controversial with that. Let's talk about what's happening in telehealth, right? Well, it's not just telehealth. It's it's what's happening is that we're, the it's there's spoken hub. There's two two prevailing forces going on that are disrupting primary care. Prevailing force number one is I'm a plan. I get sick and tired of trying to work with large providers to make them do something. And there's always this tension about who gets the money. So I'm going to try to become a provider myself. I'm Optum Care. Right, I'm yeah. doing tele. My, my wife doing just that. got a yep. right. So my wife just got a mailer from United that says, "Hey, if you do a telehealth visit, not only are you getting care for free or whatever else, we're going to give you a gift card." <laughs> right? oh, so now it's we're incentivizing people to right? <laughs> right. But then on the health system side, their mindset is, "I make all my money in the cath lab and with CKD, like Josh is saying, and you know whatever else." And so. You know, just like the pharmaceutical reps used to be healthcare professionals, pharmacists in the 90s, they pivoted. That industry pivoted. I, I coached track at the University of North Carolina. They pivoted away from healthcare professionals and towards athletes and cheerleaders. These are very capable people. They communicate well, but it wasn't, it was a shift. And we're seeing the same shift on that side to look, we need somebody out there in that local community, but their job really is just to make referrals. And so what's happening is, you know, the growth, I just was with the deans of all the schools of pharmacy or 60 plus of them at the end of last week. And I said, look, pharmacy is a profession, Bureau of Labor, uh, Labor Statistics is saying minus 3% over the next 10 years. Nurse practitioners plus 45%. Right. Mm -hmm. So there's two things going on there, right? One, we got to figure out our own crap in our industry to get more demand for FTEs. But two, those MPs are not just growing out to fill out primary care. They're also displacing people. 
right? And so what used to be primary care, that local physician, still is in many instances, and I think local pharmacies want to support that local physician, but that's changing very, very rapidly, which I think is sad in some ways and is, and is an opportunity in others for that local pharmacy to be a primary care pharmacy. Right, and so let's talk about for, that. that. That's what, um, you know, you look at one of the big opportunities, I think, for a pharmacy is going to be as a telehealth extender. The, the place where I get my strep test, my UTI, my COVID test, my really in some situations, we're talking to somebody, my back allergy test, right? You're supposed to, uh, you're supposed to have a, an allergist for every 150,000 population. How many rural type areas don't have one? And, and so imagine being going to the pharmacy and getting my, my allergy skin test and then talking to the allergy doctor via telehealth. So there's a big opportunity as... This happens, but but also a lot of independent pharmacies have a relationship with their local physicians, and they're going to see that as, hey, you're supporting telehealth, so you're 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 competing against me. What are your thoughts there? So two big thoughts. Uh, you're, you're familiar, with Jeff, because you because you're you know more in this space. But the telecom industry has a term for this. It's called last mile connection, right? Mm -hmm. So if you think about pharmacies as the last mile connection, it sort of fits into that high touch. Screening, triage, quick treat, treatment in place is another. For, if you get into the long-term care industry, that kind of front lines of the healthcare system. Just like, you know, the Aetna lead said, you know, pharmacy really should be the front door to our healthcare system. So that's the one dynamic. But with COVID, the other interesting thing that's happening with COVID, and I think shame on primary care if they don't see this and latch onto it, is Telehealth used to be thought of as this is your way of not having to go to a local person, wait in the waiting room, spend a lot of money, whatever else. It was the alternative to that. But what was missed, and I think where our own you know, pioneer pharmacies need to be thinking about this, is convenience and tele doesn't have to be a long ways away. You can be local, you can be face-to-face, -face, and you can be tele and convenient and elegant right, as, as Clayton Christensen would put it with, with Harvard, right? The elegant solutions can be local. And so one of the things that happened with COVID was all of a sudden people stopped going to the office. 70% drop in visits, some places 95% right. drop in visits. By the way, they still went to the pharmacy. They went to the ED and the pharmacy. Mm -hmm. I think there's going to be some fascinating studies that come as far as utilization of where people went. ED, pharmacy, that was it, right? And so all of a sudden, the most recalcitrant professionals in our system, physicians, as far as changing workflow, right, and changing behavior, right, all of a sudden had to actually do it and had to figure out how to adopt systems to care for people locally that weren't in their exam room. I would argue that's an enormous opportunity, not only for them, but for pharmacies to think differently about what telehealth and telepharmacy is. It can be telelocal and it can like be distributed. That. That's the other thing. You can distribute it. So it's still telelocal, but you can distribute in an area if you're five pharmacies and cover. Yeah. One of the other things that, that um, I've been tossing around a concept that's a positive for independent pharmacy is I'm going to call it, uh, and, and you're going to probably butcher me for what the word I'm going to make up, but the re-ruification of America. The fact that um, now that my big office in San Francisco isn't there anymore, I can work from wherever I want to. I'm not working from the suburbs of San Francisco, right? I'm I'm going to Montana, I'm going to Colorado, I'm going back home. 
and and you may see this resurgence of these smaller towns. Uh, the second thing that could do that is you know, probably the five to ten year line, the self driving car, right? If I can, I am still in the office, but I can work the first hour. My employer let me lets me work in the car while I'm coming in, and I'm not having to drive my vehicle. I'm gonna live further away. Yeah, I just read a fascinating article about this um, about how if this is gonna stick executives have to do the same because employees want to be around proximity executive. But if executives are remote, then everybody will go remote. I do think though, so what you're going to see is people gravitating towards where they live, work and play, where they want to live, work and play. So it will be a trend that is a problem for some communities and a boon for other communities, communities that have environments that are popular, communities that have culture that's popular, even though they're small communities. And I think about where Moose Pharmacy is in Mount Pleasant, a great example of towns that are probably going to really start right. to thrive in this new mm -hmm. uh, space, which is, I'm only an hour from a major airport, right. but I'm rural. But I'm rural, and right. So, right. And so where I see, you know, just to speak to North Carolina, town struggling, it's the the hickories and, and, and towards the boons where they're far away from, I can go somewhere to get certain type of entertainment, uh, you know, to go to a Carolina Panthers game or to go to the opera or whatever else. It's a little bit far away and I don't have major transportation, but all of these folks pout out past the exurbs. If I was going to open a pharmacy, that's where I'd be thinking because that that's where the economy is going, but it's still local. It's still, I want community I want a close connection to my local school district. So, so I think, I, I, unfortunately, there's places where I grew up where rural is going to struggle, I think, even worse. But I think these broad, big spaces where people can live a quarter mile from each other, not 10 miles from each other, will likely start to thrive. Hmm. I mean, it makes sense. You know, like when I, I first moved into an area, in a, I live in a suburb about 30 minutes north of Dallas. And initially, when we moved in, you had to drive to Dallas to do stuff. And even in the last five years, now we've got, you know, all these other things, you know, bars, restaurants, I have a distillery within like 20 minutes of my house. Um, you know, you don't have to leave anywhere to go do what you want to do half an hour to the airport. You know, if you could work in the office at home and kind of split that and you get a hybrid, you know, I kind of get the best of both worlds where it's semi-urban, semi-suburban. I think if you you know have a pharmacy or something in that area, you could really do well. Yeah. That makes a ton of yeah, that makes a ton of sense. Um, with with this kind of movement, it, it makes total sense to 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 think through where those areas of of like what Troy was saying could be a boom. Um, and a lot of that I see is your outskirts, your places. Austin's going through one of those right now in Texas, right? Where you can be remote anywhere and and people love that area, at least when you're when you're a Texan most of the time. Right, but they're gonna move out further. So yeah, the, the person right. in Austin isn't gonna fight that, you know, Austin's grown too fast. Yeah, right? they're so, looking so, at Marble so they're Falls. Gonna, or... Right. They're gonna they're gonna be an hour. They're gonna be where, hey, I can go in on the weekend and I can drive an hour in and go to Sixth Street or whatever like that, but I'm I don't need to live on Street Sixth Street. Right. Right. I don't need to go there every night. My my uh, my liver can't handle it, <laughs> so, so you know they're further out, and 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 also some of the things that are enjoyment to people is the other stuff, you know, not having a neighbor that I can reach and get the gray poupon out the window to, and 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 having some space, and 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 hunting and fishing or or more type community. So 
I think you're going to see a growth in those smaller communities, even the rural ones that you're afraid of. I think people are going to, hey, I can live anywhere. I'm going to move home. You know, I'm going to raise kids like I got raised. It won't be everybody. Yeah, but there's no chance I'm going anywhere near that. <laughs> you no, but, but the point is you have I, I might move closer to choice. Dallas. You have the choice. Yeah, no right? doubt. Now you got the flexibility. Mm -hmm. So those are dynamics that are going to make it harder to have a, you know, 50,000 square foot store and make money for it everywhere there's people. And and that's more, you know, more independent pharmacy friendly, more where Mount Pleasant, you know, places like like that or our here that might be Tyler or, right, yeah. or right. Granberry or even, you know, places, you know, 20, 30 minutes north of where I'm at, where it used to be an hour into the city. Why wouldn't you live in Little Elm or Aubrey or, you know, yeah, no. places like that? You got, you know, yeah, you got legacy right there yeah. by the thing. And that's, that's all local terms. Sorry, but have yeah. a big house and yeah. So on the, on the other end of the local part, one of the things I've seen, and there's been a little bit of push on it, not as much as we'd hoped, but if you look in the, the way healthcare has moved from acute to chronic management, one of the areas where in that chronic management, it's almost entirely managed by medications. We haven't seen pharmacists take on a big role in you know working with doctors to say, you do the diagnosis, I'll do the management of the medications, dose optimizations, manage side effects, things like that. You know, those are the things that were kind of being pushed when I was coming out of pharmacy school in 2008. And we're starting to see a little bit, but not a ton. Um, where do you think that, where do you think the next push on that's going to be? I think it's the greatest untapped potential. Um, one of my worries is that the actors on the other side are becoming increasingly operated by CFOs and not MDs or health mm. professionals. So setting that aside for another podcast conversation at some point in the future, <laughs> assuming that the the opportunity to really work one plus one equals five exists, uh, from a, just a software perspective, if I might, is I think there's four critical components. And three of those four components have been built out now. So let me run you through a quick history of of at least the world as I see it in the last 20 years on the pharmacy and medical technology front. So the first sets of electronic adoption on the medical side were what? They weren't EMRs, they were practice management systems. Why? Because you had small businesses that needed to schedule people, know what their insurance was, and be able to bill for it. You're just managing, it's revenue cycle management, scheduling, those types of things, just like any other business. Those were the first electronic features in medical side. Then what happened was this whole population health movement, this how do we get better care, how do we use data, and you know the evolution of computing and software, and then we got into the EMR. All right, so now we have a practice management system bolted on top of an EMR, or vice versa, right? right? And it's semi-functional, semi-interoperable, right? And all that money that's been spent. Now the history of the pharmacy side is Hey, in the 80s, we got to stop writing things down and sending bills in, right? So we're going to create NCPDP. We're going to create these quick ways of adjudicating. And plus, we're, in, we're doing inventory turns. We're not a service marketplace like medical. So we have to manage this in and out of reimbursement much more quickly. So our industry starts getting into that, which then sort of starts to create the model of the pharmacy management system, right? which is inventory, billing, running the claim, and then we kind of layer on 
drug utilization view and some sort of just, you know, make us feel good clinical stuff when that's really not what they're there for, right? You guys know that. That's all, yeah. it's all nice to do that clinical stuff, but what I really need, right? You've been doing that for years. Now, kudos to Pioneer, you were the first one in and you've been rocking it. We got to get vitals and labs and get clinical in there, right? Because if we're going to, we, we can talk about the primary care pharmacy all day long, but am I really going to say I'm managing diabetes and hypertension if I can't do that in a structured way and demonstrate that and so on and so forth? So you and now, you know, you guys really, honestly, I felt like led the way. And then we've got, you know, 18 technology providers now that kind of built that clinical with the, the, the management system. So now what you've got a situation, Josh, to your question where how am I meaningfully interacting with another care team member when we're not both on Epic, right? But really I have to work with them literally because they're the one billing for the service instead of me. Mm. Or where likely what's going to evolve from a policy perspective is I can produce a service, but I've got to put that prescriber's care compact or whatever else in there. I have to somehow interact with those folks. And so I've got practice management system, EMR, I've got pharmacy management system, but what's the big final missing piece in pharmacy now that we got clinical in, the, in basically the EMR with the throughput on the product? What's the pharmacy management system for scheduling, revenue cycle management, triggering all scripts to go send that CCM code and putting the information that they need to go bill for it? It's that bridge between me and you and how we interact with each other from Hey, I got people here that need something. Can we do a telehealth local? Hey, how am I scheduling people with COVID testing? I'm seeing scheduling utilities all of a sudden. Oh, well, wait, if I use that, I can think of all sorts of other things I do in appointment-based model. And so to me, that's the final piece to actually do care team member to care team member is we haven't had a service-based practice management system in the pharmacy where we can now interact as a service provider with another service provider. Is is that an HIE? Is is that I I don't uh, you guys are all smarter than me. <laughs> so is 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 that what that is, or is that a is that something else? Is that some other type of interoperability engine? What is what is that? Well, I mean, crazy enough, you know, scheduling in a pharmacy management system doesn't exist yet. I say right. yet, yet because we're working on that. <laughs> but you know, it, it's crazy. You know, pharmacy has always been an on-demand kind of thing, and so. It's 2020 and we're now building in, hey, I need to schedule an appointment with the patient. Then well, we need to be able to share that. Yeah, right? people have been scheduling. I mean, right. the people in the, the Joe Moose in the world, they, they've been scheduling. They've just been doing it outside. They've been doing Outlook. Or, or they've been doing it on Post-it notes sitting. Yeah, yeah it's just. It but you certainly don't have the things, the text message that reminds you of your appointment and that kind of right. stuff if you're, unless you're using some out kind of outside right. piece. But what happens now when you can schedule interactions virtual or in person in concert with other care team members. Now you're mm -hmm. cooking with gas. No doubt. That's population management, folks. Right, right. And the whole, the whole, I'm here. So there's going to be a, five years from now, there's going to be thousands and thousands of communities in the country, if we're successful, together as a group. This, that's a big if. But if we're successful, there's going to be thousands and thousands and tens of thousands of communities where the only doctor, doctoral degree in town will be the pharmacist. <sighs> No, I Think believe it. That. No, I, lots Super, of your yeah. lots of your no local doubt. doctors. There's just not there's not enough business. They're they're not going to be doing. And a lot are going to retire. What is it like? Several hundred thousand, uh, fifty thousand, yeah. four hundred thousand, some big number. It's crazy of, of doctors. Uh, you know that primary care is about to retire. 
Right. Uh, people aren't going into primary care because well, there's no yeah. money. Well, yeah. I mean, it's not only the no money. Like my my neighbor's son is about to be a pediatrician, and he's finishing like literally his last couple of months. He's going to be like two hundred grand in debt and a job that Jeez. is going to beat him up all day and not frankly not pay that much. It, 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 not in terms gonna, of you're thinking two hundred thousand dollars. Yeah, of yeah. Debt I mean, right you're, you're going to owe a, a reasonably sized house in debt that. Uh, pediatricians are pretty low paid. Yeah. Time. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it, most of his classmates are like, cool, I'm going to go to, you know, be a radiologist or an oncologist. They're just not going into primary care. Yeah. Right. Specialization. And those, and those radiologists off. are going to already sit in front of a video screen all day long. Why wouldn't they sit in front of a video screen with a pharmacy on the other side right. and some yeah. remote diagnostic equipment? Yeah. That's right. the interesting, the I whole, know. Uh, you know, doing a Zoom, you, you're doing uh, actually that that the coordinated care is actually coordinated at the same meeting. Right. Yeah, and that, and that house I have to do again, how are we interacting with other care team members, not as interprofessionally. We've worked on that. I, that'll all resolve itself. It's, it's workflow. How am, I, how am I doing my workflow synchronous with your workflow, whether it's credential, licensure, or geography that separates us? That's the future of healthcare. I'm thinking about like one product I, that I know of that kind of does that. Um, it's, but, but it's mainly, a, it's almost like an SMS channel in a way that it's just the the providers talking back and forth and they'll jump on a call with a patient in a virtual context. And, and I think it's also available to a pharmacist, I, I think, but it's mostly in, a, in an EHR embedded type product where they're doing some stuff like that. There, there is some, some, some kind of inklings of folks trying to push that from a technology perspective. So what's um what's the next big thing from CPSN? What's the uh, we got a lot of evolution going on, right? What's the revolution? Is there any revolution? I think uh, for us, really, it's us preparing to respond to an outcomes marketplace that is growing rapidly. If it doesn't continue to grow rapidly, CPSN will fail. If it grows rapidly and we're not ready to respond to it, CPSN will fail. And so we have to assume it's going to grow rapidly. What we're starting to see is national frameworks. Um, there's a sort of economic and business term called friction. Friction doesn't mean unease with the other person. What it means is all of the paperwork and legal and security and who pays and how do they pay and the mechanisms. And when we first start getting into this, my first contract with a national plan was over 300 pages. Jeff, you'll get a kick out of this. It's not a provider agreement. They send me a software agreement. No joke, because they didn't have any agreement on the shelf that fit pharmacy. Because remember, these plans don't interact with pharmacies. The PBM does that. They don't have contracts for pharmacies. And so what's happening is, you know, we're, we feel like we're this icebreaker, icebreaker, icebreaker over the years. And now what we're seeing is pharmacists being hired within the plans specifically to figure out how to contract with pharmacies as a provider on the plan side. Well, that tells me the market's changing, right? And they're thinking about them differently and they're building the infrastructure because for us right now, it's, it's shortening the life cycle of the sales cycle. It's shortening the administrative cost. It's shortening the, the everything. And I've now got agreements that I can get, review, and sign within a day. Nice. Our first one was nine months. Right. Wow. And these, yeah. right? and, these, and these payers will tell you it cost me a quarter million dollars to do it this vendor way like we do it now. But if I just think of pharmacies as just like all my other providers, you just follow the same thing that's already there. 
So how is the, how's the homeschooling thing going? They go from eight to 11 and then um, they break uh, and then go tell one, right? So I've got a three-year-old I got to figure out from eight to nine because they don't have anybody watching until nine. I've got a a 13-year-old who kind of self-operates, but I'm not even sure what she looks like anymore. So she's just in a room, (laughs) right? I understand that. You know, meanwhile, right? Meanwhile, you know, different neighbors have different plans about how they're doing school, right? So um, I will say, though, for those parents out there that have one or more children that have hyperactivity, online school for us has been amazing because yes. your kids can't do this. Have you had this experience, Mark? Yes. Your, your kids that like, oh, I'm in class. I'm going to throw this I'm, pad. Yeah, I'm going to jack gonna, with this dude to the left of me, right? I'm right. going to talk now, to this guy. Doing? Yes. Right. So now it's they got to look at this screen and pay attention, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So just like any other disruption in the world, I think you've got to think of disruption as being, I'm going to learn from disruption, take the positive and leave the negative. Yeah. Right. And so Amazon pharmacy, great. Let's figure out how to make it a positive. Right. right? We, you've got to figure out how it is that you, you're going to respond to a changing environment. And from my perspective, you know, we've taken advantage of that with our, our one that has hyperactivity because he's locked in at school now. Hmm. And then now what we do, Jeff, uh, is his phone time. He gets 60 minutes every day. For every lap he swims, he gets another eight minutes. For every minute that he runs, he gets five minutes. For every minute he babysits Spencer, he gets two. And every, every, minute, of out, every minute of outdoor play, he gets one minute. And then at the end of the time, we look at the screen time and we say, okay, you've got 20 minutes that roll over. Is that graphed? The next I was like, that sounds like a very economic <laughs> approach to it. Is that graphed? It sounds like if your father was in health economics, that is exactly. Dave Ramsey, right. If I was Dave Ramsey, it would be the envelopes and teaching him about finances. No, I'm, I'm, I'm doing the management of screen time because that's happened yeah. with this online education, wherever else it's managing oh, yes. screen time with these kids. It really right? is. Mm-hmm. Yep. So I, I got to know who's checking, like, is somebody like running around behind him? Like, oh, dude, there's tools. There's tools for all of that now, man. Yeah, mm-hmm. no doubt. There's you'll there's, learn. There's tools for you'll all see. That. You'll see. Oh, Josh's Josh is yeah. I mean, I've got a three year old, so yeah, three. Just I three. use screen time to just get her to chill for a minute. Yeah. Has your daughter been outside? I, I don't think so. She's no. coming translucent. She's becoming. I, I love you. I love you, Mackenzie. Um, no, like I have a my 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 youngest is he's 11 and he was that kid, especially in first, second, third grade where. I'm like, hey, show me your desk. It's the one over there against the wall in the corner because I talk to everybody too much or whatever, <laughs> right? And I'm like, okay, cool. Smart kid, but he just, gosh, he just has to talk to everyone. And and then so, but it's, he's been actually more hyper-focused with online schooling and, and being able to just be him in that screen. He's, he's he gets his work done on time. Like, you know, we, we've had some bumps, but it's it's been... And he's not getting in trouble <laughs> yeah. like the, 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 the interacting part. So I totally get it. I, yeah, Mark and I could probably sit down with a beer and say, we've got some very similar circumstances. But I think, again, as a, as a software company, there's lessons here, right? So maybe Jeff, maybe you're not there. And, and, and Josh, maybe you're not there yet. But, but when you think about some of these technologies, right? So there's a whole... Um, train of thought out there, like we need to get rid of screen time. We need to get rid of social media because it's so unhealthy, et cetera, et cetera. Well, that's not us. That's not America. We figure out solutions, right? So Mark, I'm sure you probably have like 
the family management, right? So we yeah. do the family management. Mm -hmm. You can you can put calipers on different types of apps, yep. and and it's about managing it, right? It's not necessarily about saying no, we're throwing it out. Right. But that's engineers. That's technology. That's innovation. That's that's to me, that's what being an American is all about, right? So so you know that's that's what I've always loved about Pioneer too. Is I heard you listen to your customers and say. This is what they're saying. Well, this hasn't been done before. So what? Right? There's a new reality here, and we need to figure out how to enable them. It's not about the technology. It's about them, and how do we make them respond in the new environment? And that's what I think that's always been so cool about Pioneer is, as I've been a third-party observer. I've rarely heard somebody say you're an enabler and mean it in a positive way. I mean way. it in a good way, right? Yeah, yeah right, right. <laughs> well, and I, I think I do a correction there that you haven't been a third-party observer. Oh, yeah, that's true. I think true. you've been a big participant <laughs> yeah. in uh, a lot of stuff we've done, well, a lot think, of ideas. Or a thorn in, yeah, depending on your perspective. I think some would say we've been a thorn in their side, but that's our job is that's to figure job. out how to, you know, yeah. we were formed not as a company to make money. We were formed as a company to figure out how to ice break express value in a different way and push everybody in the industry comfortable or uncomfortable towards this value-based kind of construct where it's services and product. And if you do the services right, you protect the product. Yeah, I still remember meeting you the first time. I think we were on a boat. Somewhere maybe oh, it was you're on a, a boat? It was a multi-location. <laughs> it was a booze cruise. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. Uh, it was St. Kitts. That's a little... And we were yeah, just talking, 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 drink. No, there's a whole lot of economy going on here. Talking, talking, drink. Right, right. As like, yeah, good as no, a that was Saint Kitt. I remember that. No, was that was great. I was like, front. this guy is super bright. We're gonna. I think maybe in the common thread, the first time I met Troy in person was at a PQA meeting at a bar. <laughs> I, I see a common alcohol thread there. Yeah. But maybe that's what fuels the economy. It, it was. It was craft beer, though. To be fair, it was craft beer. <laughs> So not to totally nerd out one more last time, but not totally nerd <laughs> out, but we just had uh, implementation science. When you look at implementation science, data is a tenant, right? Impetus for change is a tenant, but one of the big, big tenants, and I think one of the places we've been successful and now the Academia CPSN Transformation Collaborative is being successful is change is about social structures as well, right? So the fact that, Jeff, you and I had this interaction while we were in a social environment tends to be more effective. Josh, the fact that we had this interaction in a social environment tends to be more effective. The fact that Joe and Deborah Bowers and others can get together and express with each other what's going on in a social kind of a construct matters a lot. So I appreciate what you're doing here also with the podcast, which is you know, it isn't all about numbers and charts, and it isn't, you know, it, those things are critically important, but we have to think of this in terms of, at the end of the day, these owners and these practitioners are also human beings, and we're asking them to change, which is not easy. And so all of us need to pull for each other and, and create these social structures that encourage and reinforce positive change. And I mean that sincerely. And the scientific evidence in that field of work backs it up. And I, again, Pioneer's done an amazing job having a collective of really innovative people that are able to interact with each other to help each other out, not as just as business people, but for people that work really, really hard and need someone to talk to as a peer from time to time. Right. Yep. Yeah. Makes a ton of sense. Well, wrapping up, I just want to say thank you for uh, the podcast today and, and, uh, 
everything you're doing, getting involved in the whole independent pharmacy thing and and really CPSN. And, you know, I think, uh, I mean, there was no vision of, I don't know if there was a CPSN vision and on the boat. Uh, <laughs> but, but, uh, I, I think it's, I think it's been a, it's been a cool journey so far and I, I'm excited about how things are starting to get some traction and, and, Thank uh, you. there is no fail. Failure is not an option, right? So we, we don't talk about if this happens, we'll fail. If this has, we're not going to, we're going to figure it out. We're going to, we're going to do what it takes. I, I think there's a, there's a lot of communities. If if Osterhaus Pharmacy in Makokota, Iowa has to go out of business, I grew up in that area. A big part of Makokota, Iowa goes out of business. It, it's real. It's true. I just encourage all these schools. You got to get with your Office of Aging, your Office of Rural Health, but please get together with your office, your state office of rural economic development. In all sincerity, and you can find the same thing in urban areas as well. Um, we have to get this right, not just for Pioneer Software and not just for these owners, but these communities as well. I fundamentally believe that. I wouldn't be on 700 flight segments over three years trying to figure it out. Okay. Trust me. Yeah, right, right, now I'm, right now I'm ready to be on a flight segment, uh, just saying. Yeah, that's probably, <laughs> that's probably <laughs> true. That, that 700 actually sounds good, at least some portion of that. Right. Just, I want to go somewhere. I want to be where the people are. I'm going to burst be out into song. Where the people are. <laughs> I think he's saying I'm sick of Mark and John. I think he is. I think Mark a little Jeff. bit. A little bit. There, <laughs> there's definitely an element of uh, Groundhog Day to 2020 when you see the same 10 God, people yeah, no doubt. all yeah. the I love time. you all. It, if you're lucky enough to see 10, you know, <laughs> right, like... Yeah, True. I've got some really friends true. who see one person every day oh, dude, for the rest yeah. of their year. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Not fun. It's crazy. Troy, thank you so much. No, no, no. Th thanks. I'll keep, uh, uh, honestly and genuinely, thanks for the work you guys have done. I, I feel like you guys truly have been a pillar. There had to be somebody in the marketplace that was willing to step outside the box. And all of the things that are going on today that are positive don't happen unless Pioneer steps outside the box and takes a chance on Okay, there's these crazy people saying, here's what we got to do. So truly and genuinely, thank you to your team. Oh, yeah. Good deal. Awesome. Thank, thank you, Troy. Have Thanks, a good weekend. Troy. Thanks, guys. All right, See you guys. See y'all. Thank you for listening to this Catalyst podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider liking, subscribing, and or following us. Give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts to help us reach more amazing pharmacy people like you. Follow PioneerX on your preferred social media platform for the latest up-to-date pharmacy news and content.